Hi there, welcome to Active Intelligence. I'm Aaron Ironside. I hope you'll spend the next half an hour or so with me as we take a look at yet another social issue from a variety of perspectives. And for many of us, this one feels like an economic opportunity that might have passed us by. Should we have already invested in Bitcoin or is it the hoax of the century? Stand by for some Active Intelligence. On today's episode, I caught up with Mark Pascal. He's from a company called Trade Window, which is helping businesses work out whether or not blockchain and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency are the kinds of things that businesses should get involved in. And I don't know about you, but I've already started to wonder if I understand what we're talking about. Words like cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, blockchain, they're all very confusing. For many of us, when people try to explain to us what this whole online currency is all about, it sounds a little bit like this. What is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is a here-pair digital currency. It's anonymous and decentralized. It's like being able to teleport money to anyone across the world. <laughs> no, nothing is actually being teleported. It's a way of making millions of computers to track each and every Bitcoin on a public ledger called the blockchain. When you want to send someone a Bitcoin, you probably announce that your account is sending a Bitcoin to the recipient's account. Since the leverage is a public record, everyone knows Bitcoins are associated with each account and prevents anyone from spending money that isn't there. Okay, well that's not very helpful, but it does kind of uh, remind us that sometimes when people are trying to explain all these complicated things to us, they're baffling us with the science, and that's a bit much for us to cope with. But this Bitcoin thing, this cryptocurrency, a one-world online currency, decentralized, no banks involved, just people and their money on their terms, but how does it work? What does it all really mean? Okay, hopefully this explanation is a little bit clearer. When you want to buy something normally, using your normal bank card, this is what happens. I give my card details to the shop. The shop asks the bank if I'm good for the money. The bank checks its records to see if I've got enough in my account. If I do, it lets the shop know. It updates its records to show the movement of money from my account to the shops takes a little cut for its trouble. Now, if you wanted to remove the bank from that system, who else would you trust to keep those records and not alter them or, or cheat in any way? Well, I wouldn't trust you. I wouldn't trust you. In fact, I wouldn't trust any single person. But I might trust everyone. The idea is you don't have a central record of transactions. Instead, you distribute many, many copies of this ledger around the world. Each owner of each copy records every transaction. So, to buy something using cryptocurrency, I give the shop my details. The shop asks all the bookkeepers if I'm good for the money. The bookkeepers all check their records to see if I have enough. If I do, they tell the shop and then all update their records to show the movement of money. So there's no way that a forged transaction can make it in. If I try to alter a ledger, it won't match all of the other copies. 
and it gets rejected. Oh, and one of them, at random, will be given a reward of some newly created cryptocurrency. This is how cryptocurrencies work. And remember, all of these bookkeepers, all of these ledgers, they're not actually people. They're computers. Lots of computers. Well, I hope that explains what Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is. Certainly, it might be the way of the future. That is what many people would have us believe, that eventually money as we know it will cease to exist, banks will go out of business, and this new decentralized version of currency will take its place. Certainly, those who are the early adopters uh, that were thinking this is the way to get rich real quick. I mean, here's a young man named uh, Dylan Find. I mean, have a listen to his story, uh, an unlikely kind of person to become an overnight millionaire. Dylan Fine is living the dream. 24 years old, <laughs> I'm able to literally travel, do what I want to do. But he tells me not after first living a nightmare. I was homeless out of my car. A recent college graduate, Fine says he was broke as ever. His car was a clunker. I had that Mitsubishi Eclipse, my windows didn't work, my AC didn't work, right? <laughs> I had to open my doors just to get food at the drive-thru. And $33,000 in debt. But he says everything changed when he met a friend who introduced him to Bitcoin two years ago. I would sit here and I would I literally watch him play on his phone. An hour and a half would go by, he made $200. Four hours would go by, he made $700. $700 of real money. I was like, wow. Before long, Fine says he sold his Xbox and other belongings to invest his first $350 in the coin. Fast forward three months. I turned $350 into $12,000. He says that 12,000 turned to six figures in a year. He became a millionaire at 24, all by investing in Bitcoin. I can literally put in a trade, wait a few hours, let the exchange rate fluctuate, and I'm actually able to profit from the world's largest financial market in the world. Well, I suppose it's those kinds of stories that have captured the imagination of many of us. Could we get in on this? Is it too late to buy some cryptocurrency to become an overnight millionaire, billionaire? I don't know. It seems like it's a little bit risky. One of the things that is risky is that in this decentralized world of the cryptocurrency, there is no bank keeping a record of your money. You have to keep that record in an online electronic wallet where only you have access to the special number that unlocks your cryptocurrency. And that sounds great, unless of course you lose the wallet. All the, the, the files that I believed I needed were already on my new computer. Um, the drive was in a, in a drawer on its own um, after an incident with a, a previous laptop. And I thought that I'd, I'd, I'd taken off everything I needed. Any hesitation, any moments before you chucked it in with the boxes and the bottles to bring down? Um, as soon as I put it in the bin at home, I had a second thought, you know, in the back of my mind. You know, you've never thrown a hard drive out before. Why start now? You shouldn't do this sort of thing. You know, a little demon in the back of my head sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't take it out. It, it stayed in the... Uh, in the bin and then came down to the landfill site here with, with the other bags that I brought. You bought the bags down, you threw them in there, didn't think twice before driving off. When did the penny drop that actually what you'd thrown away was worth a fortune? Um, when I started to hear stories um, of, you know, the Silk Road uh, shut down and obviously other individuals making um, their profits and, and, and their millions, I uh, the penny dropped then, you know, that I had seven and a half thousand bitcoins um, on a hard drive that I'd thrown out a few months ago. 
for, for people who don't understand virtual currencies, they wouldn't have thought it's a problem throwing away a thing, a hard drive. But to get your money, you would need that hard drive. Yeah, there's a specific file on that hard drive uh, called a wallet file, which the Bitcoin is stored in. Um, and without that file, uh, there is no way of getting the money back because there is no central, um, central server that m records a log of it. So unbelievably, that man lost $6 million worth of cryptocurrency because he lost the wallet. It is that simple to lose it all because in a world where there is no banks, nobody is keeping an official record of your online currency, of your uh, cryptocurrency bank account, so to speak. So of course, that puts an immense amount of pressure on uh, the individual user to make sure you don't go and lose that number because nobody knows that number. It is lost forever. That seems bizarre, doesn't it? And of course, it's stories like that and a kind of generalized suspicion that maybe this online currency is being rolled out too quickly before the world economies have worked out what to do with it means that former PayPal CEO Bill Harris is among those who are saying, actually, he's not buying that cryptocurrency is all it's cracked up to be. Well, yeah, so there's a lot that's not a scam. But yes, everyone's dreaming the Kool-Aid. I think, you know, just a couple of days ago, somebody relatively prominent said uh, Bitcoin is bigger than the internet, bigger than the Industrial Revolution. Was Seriously. that Tim Draper? <laughs> uh, well, I didn't want to mention his name, but yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, hi, Bill. It's you know, and he's, he's also He's also saying that in four years, it'll appreciate to the point where the Bitcoin or all, all uh, well, Bitcoin, and all cyber uh, or cryptocurrencies will be worth uh, about half of the entire S&P 500. You know, there's just there's no relation uh, between uh, value and usefulness. And on the usefulness side, let me just you know, there's there's the currency like Bitcoin, and then there's the technology like blo uh, blockchain. Blockchain technology has terrific applications, including financial transactions. But we don't need a new currency to do it. And by the way. There's no reason that a new currency should instantly have, um, uh, you know, billions of dollars of value. Hey Bill, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. I read your piece. I, I agree with almost everything you said on the ICO market, but Bitcoin itself, a lot of the arguments you made, one can make them for gold. And yet gold exists as a part of people's portfolio. You can't really transact very well in it. You can transact much easier in Bitcoin. And it's only a store of value. It does, it's not as volatile, but it's been around a lot longer. And then... I mean, these are these are properties that Bitcoin has as well, and people think of it as an asset class, which Bitcoin is sort of emerging as. So, how do you differentiate between gold and Bitcoin? Well, you know, I think similarly, gold is uh, yes an asset, but uh, not something that generates revenue or profits. It's just something that sits there, and um, it's got a long history of being something that uh, people will look to uh, for stability. And in fact, it has reasonable stability in price, at least at least vis-a-vis -vis something like Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, um, you know, where does the value come from? Well, if, it, if it's not a, 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 an effective means of payment, if it's not a great store of value, and I don't think it is either one of those things, because at, in at very least the volatility, well then what makes it valuable? Uh, people say scarcity. You know, there's no more than 21 million Bitcoin that will ever be uh, minted. Fine. You know, I can, I, my autograph is scarce. I can <laughs> promise that I will never autograph a piece of paper more than 21 million times, but it doesn't make it valuable. 
So Bill Harris, former PayPal CEO, he's not convinced that there's enough behind cryptocurrency for it to be the real deal. However, when we think of the fact that our monetary currency traditionally was backed by things like gold, let's remember that our value that we place on gold, that's entirely arbitrary. We could have decided that gold was worthless, but we, the humans, decided it was precious. So actually, the fact that cryptocurrency isn't backed up by something may not be where the big problems lie. I think the problems are more complex than that with respect to why cryptocurrency may not yet take over regular money and banks as we know it. However, it is now part of the landscape. So that's why I caught up with Mark Pascal from Trade Window. He helps New Zealand companies who are engaged in international trade, exporting and importing, work out whether or not this kind of decentralized international cryptocurrency is something they need to worry about. And I asked him whether or not it was too late for the rest of us have we already missed the boat? Have we missed our chance to become cryptocurrency millionaires? If I had a Bitcoin for every time I get asked that, I'd be, I'd be very rich. Uh, uh, yes, uh, uh, the big million dollar question is, will Bitcoin keep on going up? It's gone up uh, a huge amount in the last uh, eight months. Uh, and it does, if you step back, if you zoom out on the Bitcoin chart, uh, you see this, this cycle of, of sort of, it goes up, uh, and then all the headlines talk about it's the bubble, it's about to pop, uh, and and then it crashes down, and all the, the I told you so uh, articles come out, and everybody says, "Ah, oh, this is gone now. Let's let's move on," and then it, behind in the background, it then starts going up again, but to a much much higher level, and that first b first sort of bubble becomes almost insignificant. If you look at the chart, you can hardly see it when, when the next one, and that's happened three times now. So we're now in the sort of probably the third big uh, bubble. Uh, but is it a bubble or is it a a, a bigger sort of uh, macro trend where it's just sucking money out of the existing fiat monetary system in, into the, the into the blockchain world. Uh, I'm more on the on the latter, uh, but the other thing that, that you know the, the, the latter sort of philosophy that this is part of a wider movement where more and more money moved in, moves into the decentralization world. But uh, the, the big but is that. Bitcoin uh, is one of many cryptocurrencies and many tokens, and and that's why I don't actually like the word cryptocurrency because it sort of it ties it to a currency, but a, a token can really be much more than a currency. It can be, it can look like a share in a company. It can look like a governance right. It can look like a financial instrument. It can look like all sorts of things. So, this this umbrella term for token that we all now use. To, and there are, and if you go onto coinmarketcap.com, you'll see thousands of these, all listed uh, in order of market capitalization, with Bitcoin and Ethereum, and and as a few of the top top ones that most people have heard of, at the top. But there's thousands more, and and lots of other alternative currencies that could could become better than Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is is fairly contentious at the moment because it uses a lot of electricity. Uh, and there are other more efficient ones. So another a coin or token could uh, uh, overtake some of the, the, the ones at the top, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, but the general feeling is now is it's got this amazing brand recognition. Uh, it, it got there first, uh, and so much stuff has been built on that infrastructure that it's got a reasonably good chance of, of, of being there for, for a long time. So, but who knows?
Well, apart from the obvious benefit of potentially making an awful lot of money in a short amount of time, which the early adopters are enjoying the benefit of, if in the future these types of cryptocurrencies become the norm, what practical difference will that make to ordinary people? Uh, uh, I think we're going to see a whole, and this is happening already, we're going to have a, see a whole suite of new DeFi, so decentralized finance products and services emerge that are dependent on, on this, this, this uh, new world. Uh, and these are going to be, I think, you know, the banks are the ones, you know, our, our, our retail banks are going to be the ones that are most likely to be disrupted by this, this move. Uh, because we'll be able to get you know, better interest rates, you know, secure loans. And we can do this now, but it's a bit techy, it's a bit nerdy and a bit risky. But that will become more and more mainstream until, you know, mum and dad, grandma, grandpa are just using this from an app or a website and they, they don't know or care that it's that it's got a blockchain infrastructure or it's decentralized or it's run by a global network. They just know that all their friends are using it and it gives them a, a good user experience. Uh, so I think... And 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 I think, but but there's potentially quite a lot of disruption along the way because our current system of money is reliant on the idea that the government controls it, and this is important for them to be able to control money. Uh, that's how they kind of control us, and that's how they collect taxes and etc. So they're going to have to adapt to this new world, uh, and and yeah, for for better or for worse, I do believe it's coming. Uh, very difficult to predict how fast. But I do know in the space I'm playing at in the sort of international DeFi world, there's yeah, it's moving very, very quickly. And there are products and services emerging that were simply not possible before. And, and you can see the benefits to consumers of using these. So uh, it, it is going to have a big impact. Uh, I'm wondering how this type of move will affect people in terms of uh, a geopolitical kind of situation. For example, poorer countries, people don't have access to the internet, don't have computers like those of us in the West take for granted. Will it create the haves and the have-nots? Will you be locked out of being able to trade if you don't have cryptocurrency in the future? Uh, I think the, the, the one of the more positive uh narratives around blockchain and digital assets are that they they should open up uh the world uh you know there's a lot of people in this world who are not attractive to our traditional financial system our banks uh they just they don't earn enough that they're not they're not they're not subserved but by that system so that the, the cost of of transactions uh drops significantly uh in the crypto world so so there are uh huge opportunities to start to capture and provide services to those essentially unbanked uh, part of the world, which is a huge number of people uh, uh, in the crypto world. All they need is, is, a, is a smartphone or access to an internet and, and they can potentially uh, earn interest on very small amounts of money. They can get other financial products. And so, yes, yeah, so I think that is an important shift. Uh, and for the rest of us in the sort of developed world with, you know, like in New Zealand, where we've got a, you know, a very uh, a very good banking, very good safe banking system, I think perhaps we're going to be slower to, to transition. Uh, and we've also got a government we trust. You know, get, bear in mind that, you know, the governments run the financial systems ultimately. 
and in in countries where we've got you know sensible inflation and which a trusted government uh, that's one thing but in many other countries you know the inflation is going crazy and 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 they don't trust the government so suddenly putting some of your wealth into into a, a, an asset like Bitcoin or ethereum or one of the others makes a lot more sense uh, because you simply the, 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 your, your your current system you don't trust as much. Well, speaking of not trusting, I can hear the sort of conspiracy theorists starting to get sort of tingly at the idea of sort of a one world currency. Is this play into any of those kind of conspiracy narratives? Where are people expressing their anxiety and concern about all of this? Uh, well, I think, I mean, obviously, that the people in the traditional system, you know, the reserve banks around the world, the, the, the existing financial services sector, uh, the banks, uh, this this world potentially threatens their their, their you know, many would say oligarchy. You know the way our, our retail bank system works is that you know there's very few players, and and the government essentially has a relationship with the Reserve Bank has a relationship with those those banking partners to provide kind of money to us as citizens. This potentially disrupts all of that. Uh, so, yeah, to those existing players, uh, I would imagine some of those are pretty nervous and, and you'll need to sort of adapt to this world. But, uh, yeah, as far as other conspiracy theorists, I mean, I think, I mean, what I like about this world is it's it's all about transparency. Uh and and all the all the uh, the products, you know, well, generally the products that are being created are all open source. So you can see if you're that way inclined, or you can pay people to look at the code and see what's going on. So we're moving away from this sort of decisions being made in uh, in, in in closed rooms with you know grey-haired white men making decisions that affect you know potentially millions of people to a world where often these decisions around how the the protocol how this financial system works uh, is open and transparent and, and if I can use Bitcoin as an example yeah that the code behind Bitcoin is fully transparent. You can see exactly what's what's going on, and the fact that only 21 million bitcoins can ever be produced, and the supply rate, and you can look at that. It's all transparent, and 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 the community essentially decides to upgrade. If the community doesn't like the upgrade, then they don't install it, and it doesn't happen. So, so and anybody can join that community. There's no barriers to joining, other than sort of technical knowledge, which is is an issue. Uh, but yeah, it is a very open, transparent world, which I think is, is a good thing. Well, you've talked about the sort of two issues of needing to have access to computers and the internet, and then, of course, the technical knowledge to not get yourself in trouble, to not lose everything, which will mean that some people will just feel very nervous about transitioning from traditional banks into this online world. What is the first step for, for the ma and pa person who's just trying to work out, do I dip my toe in this? Do I go all in? What's the first step? Yeah, the, 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 there are real risks in that transition from a, a centralized financial system to a decentralized one. And, and the main one is is sovereign wealth. In the with Bitcoin and other these other, other cryptocurrencies, basically you're you're in control of your own wealth, and and nobody can take that away from you in theory. You, but what that does mean it introduces risks in that if 
you, you know, everything is tied to a, a, a digital wallet and, and a key essentially in that wallet that you hold and you must back up and make sure you don't lose. You must make sure nobody else sees it, otherwise they can steal your money. And if something goes wrong, there's no 0800 number to ring to say, hey, look, you know, can I have my money back because I did something stupid. Uh, it's, it's, and there's lots of stories around people having Bitcoin and losing their keys and that's it, the money's gone. Uh, so that's the first thing to be aware. Now, having said that, there are uh, easier ways for, for newbies who aren't comfortable, you know, if ever wanting to take that ownership, especially if it's large amounts, uh, you know, ownership of that of that key and that responsibility for, for, for not losing your money. It's a bit like keeping you know, gold under your bed. You know, some people will do that uh, because they don't trust system, but, you know, there are risks involved. So the... the the sort of the baby step is probably to go. I guess in New Zealand, there's a there's a couple of exchanges, so Easy Crypto or Dasset. You can go to those exchanges. You can convert your your New Zealand dollar to to crypto, so Bitcoin or Ethereum or the others. Uh, and you can then with that mon- with that Bitcoin or Ethereum, you need to then decide. I can either put it into my own wallet on my phone and back it up and look after that money. Uh, without the 0800 number, or you can now put it into, I mean, so some of you may have heard of uh, Coinbase, so they've recently IPO'd, uh, they've gone through a public listing uh, in the US and worth gazillions, and they've been around for a while. They're, they're like a crypto bank, so you can put your 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 money in there, and they, they essentially then hold your keys. And that's, you know, that's controversial. A lot of the purists in the crypto world say that's really bad. You don't want, you want to have a system where you don't need to trust anybody. But for a lot of people, that's actually quite an easy and safe way to do it. Uh, you essentially put your money into their bank, they hold your keys, and you trust them to look after your money just like you would uh, in a retail bank. So that's probably, yeah, using a local exchange and then putting it straight into uh, Coinbase or one of those big trusted exchanges uh, is potentially a, a sensible first step until you're more comfortable with sort of looking after your own wealth. That's Mark Pascal from Trade Window explaining, of course, that in the end, the only way that you and I might be comfortable about cryptocurrency is if they start to act a little bit more like banks, particularly around that issue of keeping a record of your wallet, your online key to accessing your money. That's horrific to think that you could lose that and literally lose all of your money in one go. I suspect it might be a case that it's too early to call time on banks and currency, but maybe cryptocurrency will do us all a bit of a favour and remind the banks that when we have options and alternatives, we might expect a bit more competition from the banks. We might expect better uh, lending environments, better interest rates, better conditions for things like home loans, particularly if new alternatives start to emerge. So maybe it will be good for the consumer in the end that there is this competitor, but because that competitor is a decentralized existence, it's not exactly going to be the case that cryptocurrency will be able to do a good job of presenting and marketing itself quite like the banks. Of course, the whole point is that they're not a bank. However, I think all in all, uh, we should keep an eye on this. It could well be the way of the future, and we shouldn't be too afraid. Remember, there was a time where there was no such thing as money. In fact, you can thank the Knights Templar for things like banks, because when they were traveling to Israel in the Crusades, they wanted to be able to give their money in France to someone and then use their chit at the other end to receive their money back when they got to their destination. And that was, uh, what, the 1100s? So it's not like banks have been around for an awful 
long time. Human beings used to just barter, didn't they? And you'd give one object for another and try and work out uh, how much your cart was worth in eggs or oranges or apples or pigs or whatever it might be. So things change. We shouldn't be too afraid of that. But I don't think this is going to be the way of the future quite yet. But interestingly, of course, as we finish today with a little bit of humour, because one of my favourite online satirists, JP, has done a great little piece here on what some people are like when they get hold of a new thing and they feel a little full of themselves and they want the world to know how clever they are that they've worked out some stuff uh, before the rest of us. So we'll finish with that. But before we go, just a reminder, of course, you can get the podcast delivered directly to your inbox. Just go to activeintelligence.nz on the website, hit subscribe, make a comment, get in touch, love to hear from you. And we'll catch you next time on Active Intelligence. But a final thought from our friend JP. I have Bitcoin and you should too. If you would have bought Bitcoin three months ago, you'd have tripled your money by now. You're so stupid for not buying it then. Every conversation I have, I'm telling people to buy Bitcoin. And when I'm not doing that, I'm professing my Bitcoin prophecies on social media. Being a Bitcoin advocate is like the veganism of the financial world. You'll find out where I stand on the matter within 11 seconds of meeting me. And you'll find yourself being appropriately belittled if you don't feel the same way about it. Let me explain how Bitcoin works. People worry when there's no gold behind money. But you don't have to worry about that with Bitcoin because not only is there no gold behind it, there's no anything else behind it either. So technically it's nothing. But because the good-hearted anonymous people behind Bitcoin release only a limited amount of this nothing, it's worth something. Scarcity is what makes anything valuable. So with Bitcoin, scarcity is what makes nothing valuable as well. Another instrumental part of Bitcoin is the blockchain. It's a ledger that keeps track of Bitcoin and keeps everyone accountable. Blockchain helps cut out the third party of banks that you have with normal money transactions. So it's like a third party that cuts out the other third party because we don't need a third party in our exchange of rare and precious digital currencies. The genius behind Bitcoin is it's an alternative currency to money, which means next to Bitcoin, money doesn't really matter anymore. So the beautiful part about putting your money into Bitcoin is that the value of your money, which doesn't matter anymore, goes up while the amount of Bitcoin you have, which does matter, stays the same. Now with Bitcoin, I'm all of a sudden the most qualified financial advisor I know. My strong history of no track record and wealth accumulation has given me the experience I need to recognize a once in a lifetime opportunity to get rich the easy way by investing in Bitcoin. And it's given me the ability to tell everyone I know about it. There's a rule in the investment world you can bank on with Bitcoin. What goes up never comes down.